You're listening to As Read By Me, the podcast where writers read and readers listen. Greetings, and welcome back to your favorite writer's podcast. Well, actually, I can't confirm that, but hey, here's hoping. I'm Dave Stiles, and thanks for joining us on another episode of As Read By Me. You know, for most Philadelphians, the name Frank Rizzo probably rings a bell. The city of brotherly love had a love-hate relationship with its infamous mayor and police chief for many, many years. And lucky for us, our own Frank Goldstein was shooting news in Philadelphia during that time, and now, 50 years later, he brings us a revealing story about Rizzo entitled The Man, the Myth, the Legend. Next, Melinda Gordon reads a poem inspired by her experience attending the very first Earth Day in A Day to Remember. And finally, Rich Hosick shares a tale of decisions and consequences in his story entitled Resolved. Okay, you got your earballs ready? Let's go. Hi, I'm Frank Goldstein, and this is an excerpt from my forthcoming book, Shoot It Anyway. This story is called The Man, the Myth, the Legend as read by me. I met Frank L. Rizzo in the late 1960s, and for all the next decade, Philadelphia's police commissioner, then Mayor Frank L. Rizzo, was a newsman's dream, full of bluster and bubbling with great sound bites. A huge man in all ways, Frank grew up on the tough streets of the Italian immigrant ghetto of South Philly. Never finishing high school, he became a policeman. He rose through the ranks to become the town's tough top cop. We need a story for tonight's show. Where's Rizzo now? That question bounced around the newsroom of the late 1960s while Rizzo was police commissioner. Find the man, and you have the lead story for tonight's newscast. Perhaps of questionable ethics, but ethics and local news were words rarely found in the same sentence back then. That question resulted in my soundman Roy and reporter Marjorie Margolis and I being sent off to the Roundhouse. That's the nickname given to the circular Philadelphia Police Headquarters building at 8th and Race Streets. Roy couldn't have been a nicer guy, dependable and professional. Tradition was that the sound man drove the news car. We were always running late for our stories, speeding to catch up. News crews often bent the rules of the road to get to breaking news like fires and shootings. But today, Roy's white knuckles will have a different cause. Marjorie's story is in her future. She would resign from the station later that year and begin an honored journalism career that would ultimately lead to politics, congresswoman, public service, and, of course, mother-in-law to Chelsea Clinton. This day, she would be the screamer in the back seat. I have no recollection of the subject of the story, but the ride back to the TV station was unforgettable. Like most people, as the interview ended, Rizzo asked, Marjorie, when will this be on? Back in those days, we were still shooting film. Minicams and portable video recorders were years into the future. 
The film, of course, needs to be developed, a process that took about 45 minutes. Then editing took some more time, not to mention the rush hour commute back to the station. Well, Commissioner Marjorie responded, I don't think we'll make the early news. This won't be on until 11. Rizzo asked, What's that? It's rush hour, Commissioner, and when we get back to the station, the film we shot will have to be developed, and that all takes time, sir. With that, Rizzo picked up the phone. I want two highway patrol cars in front of the roundhouse, right away. The four of us exited the building together, and as we did, two sparkling highway patrol cars were parked at the curb. Alongside of the cars... Two spit-shining officers in leather boots, Sam Brown belts with 50 Mission Crush caps, stand at attention and snap to salute to their commander. Rizzo, in all his commander voice, orders his officers, You take the front, you take the back, I want these people back to the TV station as fast as possible. With that, Roy got the news car, we loaded our equipment as the highway cops waited, and then off we went. Right on 8th Street, and as we approached Race Street, the lights and sirens came on, front and back. Traffic on Race Street screeched to a stop as we blew through the red light at the intersection. Roy looked at me with a fearful and quizzical face. Marjorie was equally surprised. Soon, a left on Divine Street to the Schuylkill Expressway ramp. As cars and trucks jumped out of our siren-squealing way, a combination of fear and embarrassment overwhelmed the three of us. Roy's grip on the steering wheel turned his knuckles a bloodless white. We easily slipped onto the expressway entrance ramp, our bodies leaning to the right from the centrifugal force of the speeding turn. Seconds later, we're on the expressway. Wait a minute. Correct that. We're on the shoulder of the expressway, as traffic on the highway proper is at a dead rush hour stop. But not us. If memory serves me, we are speeding along at about 85 miles an hour on the shoulder. Seems like hours, cruising along with our escorts. But only a few minutes later... Still, with lights and sirens, we pull into the TV station parking lot. Heads turned and mouths are wide open with bulging eyes. It was both bizarre and embarrassing. It's taken me a half century to explain this to you. Thanking our highway patrol friends and pouring our melted bodies from the news cruiser, we walked silently past our confused co-workers and into the building. Oh, and by the way, the interview didn't make the early news. It was never even scheduled for the show. Hi, I'm Melinda Gordon, and this is A Day to Remember, as read by me. Walking casual through the park, an average day out on a lark, outstretched a path way past the mark that we could see, except a spark we thought might be a fun event. A picnic or a circus tent? 
The path rolled on and then it bent. A blue cast from the sky had sent some rainbow-colored whirly gigs to dance and sparkle, zag and zig their way through crowds which were quite big. Excitement grew, the voices rose. We stretched way up on tippy toes to use our senses, ears and nose, and sight to take in all the rows of children, every shape and size, happy prancing little guys whose thoughts were pure and good and wise, who knew the value of strong ties to Mother Nature and her kin, and all the wonders there within. Their hearts and souls bereft of sin, open, letting beauty in. It felt so free, it felt so clean, to be part of that groovy scene, the kindness and the never mean of unspoiled little kings and queens, they circled round old Mother N and danced in rhythm, counting ten. We promised we'd see her again. But when? Mothers called, it's getting dark. Come home, come hither, come now, hark. With teary smiles, we embarked our journey from that magic park where we for sure had learned it best when putting humans to the test of what is right and all the rest look to the children. They are blessed. Hi, this is Rich Hosek, and here's a little story about a resolution gone wrong called Resolved, as read by me. Roger looked at the woman curled up next to him on his sofa while the New Year's Eve show they were watching played on the television. She smiled back at him. So, any resolutions? she asked. It was the same question he had heard from hundreds of different women in all the variations of New Year's Eve he had experienced so far. It was a question that had started it all. The first time he had been asked about his resolutions for the coming year, he had laughed it off. But his companion, on that first changing of the calendar, seemed offended by his cavalier attitude. You must have a resolution, she insisted. It's just a silly tradition, he replied. No one really does anything they promise for the whole year. That's no excuse not to try, the woman replied. I'm open for suggestions, he challenged. In the background, the countdown for the new year was coming down to the last few seconds. He'll never forget that expression on her face. She was smiling, but not in a friendly, happy way. It was more of a smirk that conveyed to Roger that she knew something he didn't know. You might regret that decision, she warned. Try me, he dared. Okay, since you are so reckless with your decisions, you resolve to make only good decisions for the entire year. What does that mean, he asked. But before he could even finish the question, the people around them erupted into shouts of Happy New Year! She grabbed his face with her hands and kissed him, hard. It wasn't the soft, passionate kiss that promised more to come he had experienced on previous New Year's Eve dates. She held him tight, and it felt like she was sucking the air out of his lungs. He struggled to break free but couldn't, and eventually, everything went dark. He awoke alone in his bed, not remembering how he got there. He was hung over and felt the beginnings of a cold tickling the back of his throat. It was a day off, so it took him a while to notice that something was odd. At first, there was a weird sense of deja vu that he couldn't turn off. 
It felt like everything he did, everything that happened, had happened before. Then he realized why. He was back to the beginning of the year he had just celebrated the end of. At first he wondered if it was some kind of prank, but if it was, the whole world was in on it. The same news stories were on the front page of the newspaper. The same teams were playing in the big college bowl games. The weather was exactly the same. The next day at work, he sat through the same first quarter company meeting, had the same conversations with his co-workers, and went home to find out that the latest episode of his favorite television show was the one he had already seen. He was reliving the last year over again. He couldn't handle it. He thought it was a dream. He tried to go along with it for a few days, but... After the first week, he couldn't bear to go to work anymore. He spent a month just staring at the television, tuning to the channels he had never watched to see something new, anything new. But nothing new really happened. He would go out once in a while, but his savings soon evaporated and he started borrowing himself into a financial hole. He just needed to get past this year. And so the year passed, day by familiar day, until he found himself watching some mindless New Year's Eve show on TV. Midnight came. He awoke alone in his bed, not remembering how he got there. He was hung over and felt the beginnings of a cold tickling the back of his throat. For some reason, the memory of his last New Year's Eve date and the resolution she had crafted for him was present in his mind. Was that it? Was he being given a chance to remedy all the bad decisions he had made over the past year? Was this a blessing instead of a curse? So he tried using his knowledge of where he could have made better choices to improve his life instead of hiding from it. And things went well, mostly. And at the end of the year, he accepted an invitation to a party he had turned down previously, met a nice girl, exchanged resolutions, and a kiss with her. He awoke alone in his bed, not remembering how he got there. He was hung over and felt the beginnings of a cold tickling the back of his throat. So, obviously he was going to have to do better. The third time through, things did improve markedly. He got a promotion at work, entered into a healthy relationship, even found time to visit his parents. But after he exchanged a kiss with his newly minted fiancée on New Year's Eve, he awoke alone in his bed. The next few iterations, he continued his effort to make the best decisions, the ones that would lead to the most successful outcomes, always chasing a slightly better path each time. But each year ended back at the beginning. So he gave up and tried something else. By now, he had a good idea of who was going to win all the major sporting events, so he gathered all the cash good, including advances on his credit cards, and quickly parlayed it into a small fortune, and just had fun. He bought sports cars, yachts, exotic pets, luxury mansions, even drugs and thousand-dollar bottles of wine. Several iterations passed in decadence, but always led him back to the beginning. So then he memorized a few big lottery jackpots, giving him enormous payouts that he donated to charities hoping that one big bowed jest would earn him a reprieve from this timeless prison. He awoke alone in his bed. He had lost count by this time of how many years had passed, or rather, how many times this one particular year had passed. He tried making the best possible decisions he could come up with. He tried making the most financially beneficial, the most considerate, even asking what would Jesus do. But each ended with the same result. He awoke alone in his bed, not remembering how he got there. He was hung over and felt the beginnings of a cold tickling the back of his throat, and the words of his bewitching New Year's date echoing in his ears. You resolved to make only good decisions. Good decisions? Hadn't he tried that? Well, he supposed it depended on what your definition of good was. Awfully subjective, he complained. But at the same time, he got to thinking about what a good decision was to him. 
If he was forced to come up with a definition, the first one that came to mind was that it was a decision that he felt good about. Well, why not? When it came time to decide which project to lead at work, he picked the one that he knew he would have fun doing, that would be interesting and challenging rather than the one that was simple and straightforward and an easy win. When he chose where to go on vacation, he picked the one that was familiar and relaxing rather than the one that was advertised as the single's paradise, and met Emily, a sweet girl who was strong and independent and made him want to be the best version of himself. And when he had to decide what to do on New Year's Eve, he and Emily spent a cozy evening at home. So, any resolutions? she asked. Roger smiled. Just one. I want to find a resolution to my last resolution. What's that supposed to mean? Emily asked. Just kiss me first, Roger said, as the host on the television show they had tuned into counted down to zero. Emily kissed him softly, passionately. He clung to that kiss for as long as he dared. His eyes closed. Their lips parted. Then he heard Emily say, Happy New Year. Roger opened his eyes. Emily was still there, smiling. What do you want to do this year? she asked. I have no idea, he asked. You decide. Thanks for joining us. And I want to say a special thanks to our newest contributor, Rich Hosick. Rich discovered us on Twitter, and in addition to being a terrific writer and reader of his own work, he has become a bit of an ambassador for our show. And for that, we are extremely grateful. In addition to his amazing short stories, Rich has written two novels that can be found on Amazon. And I'll put links to his books, podcasts, and his other published works in the episode description. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe. And if you'd like to help us out with a donation, you can do so by visiting asreadbyme.com and clicking on the donate button. See you next time.